Mac Power Users, Episode 99, Workflows with Marco Arment. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. Along with me is Katie Floyd. Hi, Katie. Hey, David. And we have a special guest today, Marco Arment, uh, one of my very favorite people on the internet. Welcome, Marco. Thank you. Hi. Nice to be here. You know, it's to me the uh, the reason for the existence of the iPad is Instapaper. You know, <laughs> that's what, great. Thank you. You know, when, when it, before the iPad existed, I was thinking, boy, the one thing I would want this iPad for, or at that time, the tablet, whatever they were going to call it, is Instapaper, and it's such a big part of my life. Uh, it's kind of funny at the Sparks house, you know, we kind of have this evening ritual of laying in bed with our iPads like nerds and going through the daily Instapaper catch. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I do on Sunday mornings is I, I gear up everything from the week that's, that I've been meaning to read. And Sunday mornings, I sit down in my big comfy chair with my cup of coffee and Instapaper. So it's it's really changed my weekend. Yeah, it must feel really good to to create something that's just so useful to so many people. Thank you. It, you know, it really... Um... I, I'm very I'm very fortunate to to be in this position where I, I you know I was in the right place at the right time and had the right idea to do something that succeeded in in this new app store world and I'm I'm doing it in a way that I can be proud of like I I'm, I'm very a lot of people don't really care um, but I'm very very happy that I can do something every day for as my living that I don't feel like is taking advantage of anybody or ripping anybody off or doing anything illegal or unscrupulous. Like it's really just like a nice, honest living. And I'm, I'm extremely proud of that. And I'm very fortunate that I can do that. Yeah. And not only that though, you, not only were you at the right time in the right place, you had what I consider to be flawless execution and you oh, can, that's not true at all. <laughs> well, no, really it was because there was nothing like that. And you innovated it, and then you continue to iterate it. It just gets better and better. I mean, it's not like you're sitting you know, on your haunches here. This app just keeps getting better. I mean, part of that is that the, the problem set that this solves, the, the saving things for later, I mean, that's, it's a very, very simple problem set at its heart. But I think what, what allows so much polish and everything is because it is a, a very uh, common problem that needs to be solved by a lot of people. So there, there's a built-in user base there, and on these devices, uh, the, these iOS devices, it really, it really shines in this setting. So there, there's, there's this great potential audience here, but because the problem set is so incredibly simple, it's, you know, maintain a list of bookmarks on a server, have some way to add to that list of bookmarks, and then have the device download them. Um, it's, that's really, I mean, that's one of the reasons why there are so many competitors, because it's really very easy to start this, this kind of service. Um, but what's what's great about it is that because there's a lot of demand for it, but the problem set is so simple, there is just infinite room for details and polish and luxuries. And I get so much joy and pleasure out of making little like I I always say like it's like it's like luxury luxury car features, like the automatic dark mode and uh, you know the background updates stuff like that. Like I I always like the little scroll back protection and there, there's all sorts of little tiny features in the app that to me it's it's like luxury car features and I, I i i always am so happy whenever i can figure out something like that to add because you know the basic problem set of the app really hasn't changed over time it's it just gives me infinite time to polish it 
you know, I think this might have been even before the iPad, but when you added the feature, the tilt scroll, where you can hold yeah, the phone the and iPad. just tilt it, yeah, it sounded to me like the dorkiest thing I'd ever heard of. I'm like, oh, that's that's a gimmick. And I turned it on, and I haven't turned it off in three or four years since it went in. It's, <laughs> it's just it's fantastic. That was, a, that was one of those things where, I mean, you're right, it sounds ridiculous. When, when you hear the idea, I mean, when I heard the idea in my own head, I, I was on the train one day, and I'm like, that, that might work, but it's probably going to be terrible. Yeah. But it might be awesome. So I went home, and I tried it, and it actually wasn't terrible. And it turned out that was great. And, but that, I mean, that could have gone either way, certainly. Like, I, I've tried a lot of other um, weird features like that, most of which have not been great. <laughs> but, but that one worked out pretty well. Yeah, it's like Apple. There's a lot of products that never saw the public. <laughs> right. Probably uh, for the best. <laughs> yeah. And, and then the, the other new, and we're, we're not going to make this an Insta Paper Love Fest, but the other new feature that I think is amazing, if, if people uh, listening in haven't heard it yet or used it yet, is this auto sync when you leave your house or leave your work. You've got that new feature that's, that's location aware. Right, uh, and I really have to give credit to News.me for their Paperboy feature. They, they, that was the very first time I'd ever seen anybody do this. I'm pretty sure they invented it. Uh, it's, you know, iOS has all these restrictions on not being able to run in the background for very long or not being able to start yourself up from the background. Um, so an app like Instapaper or like an RSS reader is a great example too. Apps that can really benefit from a feature like, you know, check for new things every hour or something like that. Um, that's not possible on iOS. Uh, so we have to come up with these weird workarounds to try to get some of that value without, you know, while staying within what Apple will allow. And so the geofence uh, updates, it's, just, you know, the, in uh, iOS 5, they introduced geofencing. Yeah. And it's what, like, it, when, if you tell Siri on a 4S, if you say, remind me when I get home to blah, 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 that uses a geofence around home. And it's, it basically sets up uh, a low power, very low precision um, GPS trigger so that when your phone gets somewhere near that place, or if it's been in that place and it leaves that place, uh, then it triggers this event to happen. So uh, uh, anyway, so by using that feature, if you set your home and your office, say, if you set like a couple of places where you go every day or often, you, Instapaper now has a feature where it can trigger an update when you do that. Uh, so rather than being able to check like every hour for updates, I can at least check every time you leave or enter your house or your office. And for most people, that's good enough. And I, and I would, and you know, it's this big convoluted thing. Like, uh, you know, if Apple just gave us a check every time interval feature that we can, you know, launch in the background every time interval, I wouldn't need that big complicated geofence feature. Yeah. Uh, similarly with like with the automatic dark mode, the way automatic dark mode works is, you know, Instapaper has a dark mode and a light mode. And when you're in a dark room, like if you're reading in bed at night, the dark mode is really what you want to be using most of the time because it's just so much less bright. And it'll irritate, uh, if, if somebody's in your bed with you, it'll, it'll irritate them a lot less if they're trying to sleep and you're trying to read. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just, it's great to have dark mode uh, in dark rooms. But Apple does not give developers access to the light sensor information. So the app has no way to tell whether the room you're in is dark or light. So instead, I, I wanted to have a feature where it, auto, it would automatically switch, and so you wouldn't have to switch manually. So what I did was this, this automatic um, dark mode feature, which asks you for your location, and then it, it, look, it, it calculates sunset times based on your location. So I don't know whether the room you're in is dark, but I do know if it's dark outside where you are. 
<laughs> and so I, I, can, I, I basically approximate with that based on how dark it is outside given sunset tables for your location and whatever day of the year it is. Uh, I can tell you, okay, it's probably, dark, it's probably time for dark mode. And that's this, again, ridiculously complicated feature that is only that complicated because I don't have access to the light sensor. Yeah, it's like you want right. to know what time it is, so you build a watch. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you have been so vocal in the developer community through your blog, through the podcast, and through Twitter, and all of these other avenues. I think you've really pushed development not only of your own app. I mean, certainly it would have been easy of you to just rest on your laurels and say, okay, Instapaper's a great app, and we're just going to you know, leave it here, and I'll do bug fixes. But you've really continued to innovate. And by doing this, I'm now seeing a lot of features that, that you've either pioneered or that you've, you've brought to press in Instapaper shown up in other apps, like Downcast, for example, just recently got the automatic background updating. Now, I know that wasn't an app, a, a design that you pioneered, but I think it was one that you definitely brought to the forefront of the developer community is, and, you know, hey, I checked with Apple, this is cool, and why aren't more people doing this, and now they are? I think that's probably, that's probably safe to assume. I mean, I, when News.me launched that, that Paperboy feature, which is what they called their GeoFence updates, um, I saw that and I thought, that's allowed? You can do that? That's, there's no way Apple's going to allow that. But I'm like, that's, that's a really amazing feature. And, and my, my market is pretty competitive. And when, when I get an idea for a feature, I want to do it first. And even though this wasn't really my idea originally, but yeah. I still wanted to be the first one of, of the apps that all, that all compete with me. I wanted to be the first one to offer that. And so, and, but news.me, I'm kind of friends with some of those guys. I'm like, I'm like, all right, I have to find out if this is allowed. Because if, if Apple's just going to reject it a week after I do it, there's no purpose in me doing it. That, that's bad for everybody. So I have to find out if this is allowed. So I, I wanted to ask Apple, but I didn't want to get them in trouble either. <laughs> I didn't want to get news.me in trouble. So I, I, I decided, all right, let me just ask. So I asked, I asked the app review people, like, hey, uh, is this allowed? Can I, can I actually do this too? And amazingly, they said yes. And I still, I'm still surprised that we're allowed to do this with the GeoFence API, but it's allowed. So I said, all right. And so I kept quiet and just did it and kind of rushed that feature out. I really wanted to be first, and I got it out there. And that was over a month ago now. I think that was like two months ago that that was released. And, uh, and still none of my competitors have it. And, and the only, even RSS readers, I figured they would add it immediately. They don't have it. Um, the only other app I've seen that has it is Downcast. Yeah, I remember. Have you seen any others? No, Mm-mm. no. I, I thought you invented it. I didn't realize that you got it from News.me. I, I, I tried to blog about it as much as I could because I, I hate stealing people's ideas, so I tried to uh, give them as much credit as I could. But, yeah, I think uh, you were good about yeah, that. I mean, I, I'm just amazed. As soon, when I, as soon as I saw that news.me blog post about that, I thought for sure everyone's going to do this. Every app developer is going to add this feature. And so far they haven't. I'm, I'm honestly very surprised. Yeah, I, yeah. I had my nephew visiting, my little you know, eight-year-old nephew, and he said, can I have some cookies and I said, yeah, and I was, you know, doing something and I came back and he had ate them all, you know, <laughs> and uh, sometimes <laughs> I feel like that's what developers are like. As soon as Apple says, yeah, you can do this. It's like, OK, then I need to do it like now. You know? Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing, too. I also figured and I don't want to get too far into this because this is obviously <laughs> severe Apple developer nerdery. But I figured uh, that once I did it, because obviously nobody saw news.me do it. That's obviously because if they did, everyone would be doing it already. That's what I thought. So I figured once I did it, maybe so many app developers would add this feature that Apple would then say, all right, you know what? Never mind. This is not allowed anymore after all because you guys are, are way overusing it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but again, so far that hasn't happened. So uh, 
hey, I guess I'm I'm hoping for the best. I I would love if I don't know. I guess I if iOS seven in the future, I would love if that gave us any kind of background downloading frequency, so that I could avoid this whole this whole uh, complexity. But so far, we don't have it. So we'll we'll work around it as much as we can. Yeah, I have to say, so geofencing started with iOS five. And I use the heck out of it. I mean, I've got a lot of apps that are using geofence-based tools. I've never really seen much of a hit on the battery. Everybody always says that's the problem with it. I and, No, I, it, there really isn't a hit on the battery. A lot of people say that, but iOS 5 had, especially when it first came out, it had a number of bugs that affected a lot of people that reduced their battery life. Whether geofencing was on or not, it didn't really matter. Um, because what geofencing does not, as far as I know, does not use the GPS chip really at all. Uh, it only uses the cell tower information, as far as I know. Um, yeah, but I guess at the beginning, when we were having those battery problems with iOS 5, uh, geofencing became the whipping boy. And Right. Because re- at the same time, everybody was trying out geofencing. Yeah. Because it was new. Yeah. So then people stopped using it. But I use it all the time. I love it. I think it's, I'm trying to figure out if it's a nerd feature or if it's really something that everybody likes. But I think it's amazing. You know, I've got um, the Reminders app running them. I've got your app running them. I've got OmniFocus. I've got a bunch of apps that run these Geofence Reminders. And it's fantastic. So I'm really just surprised that it's not adopted more widely. Well, one problem with it, and and I'm curious to know if if you've seen this too, um, is that you know because it's using such a low power GPS implementation, you know it's it's using the cell tower triangulation like the iPhone one, and uh, and and then I think it might turn on the GPS chip occasionally with a very low power mode for like a split second or something like that. Um, but because it's it's saving so much power in what it's doing, it's also extremely imprecise. And so if you set up a and, and the apps that have geofence support, when you create these geofences by the API you tell the API what radius you want from a point. And the problem is, if you set too small of a radius, because it's so imprecise, it might never land in that radius. Like, yeah. it, it might never realize it's there. So, you know, if I say, do this thing when I'm at my house, if I drive past my house, it probably won't trigger. Because, like, I wasn't there long enough, and, you know, my phone, it, it's so imprecise, and... So I set the radius pretty big on mine. I set it to be about like about a block long, and and the, and the problem is, you can't be you know because of this implementation. Not only would I never want to depend on a geofence firing because like sometimes like I'd tell I'd tell Siri oh, remind me when I get home to do this, and I get home and then three hours later I turn my phone on and then it reminds me, like I take it out of my pocket, turn the screen on, and then it reminds me. <laughs> um, Thanks, you know, it, it didn't check all that. Yeah, exactly. Thanks a lot. Um, well, you know, that's odd because I've not had that experience, and I haven't changed the fences at all. The uh, OmniFocus lets you sit a very narrow or a very wide fence, but like with the Reminders app, I don't believe it even has a setting for that. No, if I think that setting's in no, the background. Because yeah. yeah. I've, I've had Reminders app trigger like when I've driven by the drugstore. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. yeah, me too. I mean, if anything, it's 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 very broad. Like I have a one for the market and I, I drive by the grocery store every day on the way home from work and it's an, a, an annual thing, you know, or a daily thing. It tells me I need to buy carrots or something, you know, uh, now do you, right, use, maybe, maybe mine's just not that reliable. <laughs> do, do you use that? Well, maybe it's where you live too. I don't know. Yeah, I've, in, I've also uh, never had a compass that worked right on, the, on an iPhone. Oh, really? 
Yeah, you know, you know the compass sensor added in, I think, the 3GS. I, right. I've never had one that, that worked reliably and didn't make me do the figure eight thing constantly. And like my, my, my 3GS was always 90 degrees off, <laughs> which is kind of bad well, for a compass. That's not a big compass. deal. Don't worry about that. I, now I finally know that. Now I know why. It, it, it makes perfect sense to me. Marco's just like Terpstra. He's another robot. And, Maybe. And all those implants are throwing the whole system off. It could be. Is coffee magnetic? That might be. I think if you drink yeah. enough of it, it can be. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I bet that's why my wife knows who you are because of your coffee uh, stuff. Because I've sent her some of your posts because she's really into that stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. hmm. got some anyway. nice Kenya here today. Yeah, I was telling uh, for the the show before we started. I was telling my wife, you know, who doesn't really keep up with stuff. She says, "Who are you interviewing?" I said, "The guy who did Instant Paper." And she's like, "Oh, oh, you mean Marco?" And I'm like, "Yeah, Marco." <laughs> Okay, well, we were going to get to some uh, workflow stuff here, but one sure. last question on Instapaper. Okay, and this is a follow-up from your show, your amazing build and analyze show that you also do on the 5x5 network. You talked uh, in one of your more recent shows about the size of the Instapaper cache, and because I've been a, a rabid Instapaper user, um, I have built up this huge cache of documents over the years. And just a question from a user, frankly, Sure. since I've got you as a captive uh, audience here. Uh, so when I get done reading an article on Instapaper, I tap the archive button and it goes into an archive. Now that archive at this point is, I'm sure, thousands of articles. Is that causing a problem? Should I be deleting them? What, what am I supposed to do as a responsible Instapaper user? Yeah, um, I just thousands of articles. A bunch of articles I wasn't reading. Right. I mean, thousands of articles is not a problem. Um, when it starts getting into tens and tens of thousands, that that becomes like that puts you like in the top one percent easily. Um, and and so you know, as I was saying, a lot of people have tools that automatically will send RSS feed contents into their Instapaper accounts and things like that. And and that that's really how you get to these massive numbers is is you have like automated additions. Um, people who are using the service kind of the way it's meant to be used as intended. Um, which is you are manually adding every item to it, uh, you will never hit those problem levels in all likelihood. I mean, well, I shouldn't say never. Maybe Robert Scoble could, but most people will not hit those levels um, just by manually adding things. So if you, know, if, if you haven't had any kind of bulk addition bot running on your account, uh, you're fine. Yeah. So, and, and frankly, I don't need them in the archive because the way I do it, I've got a pinboard account and pinboard, mm-hmm. anything that I send to Instapaper gets copied to pinboard. And for all of what, $7 or what it was I paid for my account now, it's, yeah. it's keeping a copy of all that stuff. Yeah, so I can go great. forever. Yes. So I can go search it anytime I want. So, uh, but the way the app Instapaper works, it, it encourages you to put it in the archive when you're done. Uh, deleting takes two taps if memory serves. So um, I guess at some point, I guess I'd like a feature where I can go through and flush my archive. Maybe that maybe that exists and I just don't know it. There actually is a feature like that on the website in the sidebar. There's an, there's an archive all when you're viewing the the unread page, and then on when you're viewing the archive, there's a delete all button. And if you click it, it gives you options. It'll say like delete everything from the last thirty days, or just delete everything. Um, and and it, there's like a you know delete everything except what's except what you liked. Um, so you can keep liked articles around infinitely, but then delete everything older than a month that's not liked. Um, and all that, I'm, I'm working on improving that for the future. I, I have some ideas because it is a big problem that people save a lot of things that, that they don't get around to. And, and I do, I do want to have some kind of solution to that that doesn't invoke a lot of guilt uh, or, or, that, 
or that, that people will actually use that isn't scary or anything like that. Um, not really for me, but for, for, for the users. Like, I, again, like if somebody's using it as intended, they're not really causing a problem for my servers. Um, but if you have an inbox of 200 unread items and that you feel very guilty about that, then that's a problem for you. And so I'd like to fix that. Well, I don't feel guilty about it, but at the same time, I don't want to cost you a bunch of money for stuff I already have stored <laughs> somewhere else. So if I can eat, get rid of it, I'm in, you know. Okay, now we've got that over. I needed to, to get that covered. Thank you so much. <laughs> no problem. Let, well, let's I talk want, about... I want to talk some about the history of, of how Instapaper got started and how you got your start with, with the development, but this might be a good time to take a quick sponsor break if, if you don't mind. Maybe you can grab a cup of coffee if you want. Is that all right with you, sure. David? Yeah, let's do it. it. All right, let's talk about our first sponsor for this episode, and that is going to be Drobo. David, you and I have talked a lot about how um, we use our Drobos for a lot of off off computer storage because now we've got these computers that have smaller SSDs, although you did get that big 512, so I don't know why you need a bunch of off-site storage, but you're doing all of these video screencasts. I'm doing all these audio files with the podcast, and the reality is you don't need all of this stuff with you everywhere. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about how I use my Drobo. I've got a Drobo FS that I've been using for a couple of years now around my house. And this was really one of those things that I didn't know I really need until I bought it. And now I don't know how I can live without it. So I've got the Drobo FS, which is the network-attached Drobo. And the great thing about Drobo is you grab a couple of SATA drives, you pop them into the Drobo. It doesn't matter what size they are. If you've got a 500-gig drive here or a terabyte drive there or a two-terabyte drive that you can pop in, just pop the Drobo drives in. Drobo is very smart. It will figure out all of the storage that it needs and figure out how it's going to do its job to best protect all of your data. And then you can just forget about it. Drobo will guard your data against a drive failure. So if you have a drive that goes bad, Drobo's got your data backed up and protected. One of the little lights will go red and it will say, hey, this drive is bad. Pop it out. You replace it with another drive and it comes back on. So uh, I've been very happy with my Drobo. And the beauty about having the Drobo FS connected to my network is that I can access all of my data no matter where I am in my house. It's connected to my uh, network, which means my Mac Mini can get it, my MacBook Air can get it no matter where I am, and boom, all of my data, no matter where I need it, is stored secure, safe, and protected on the Drobo. Yeah, I'm using the Drobo FS as well for the exact same reason, and I need it even more than you do because I've got four people in this house, and we've all got Macs and we're all plugging into the network at all the times. And this gives us a way to have a safe place to store data. Um, my, my wife and kids all understand that anything they put on that is backed up and we even put the iTunes on there so they can get access to that stuff as well from other computers. It's a little more complicated than we really have time for in the spot. Exactly how we do that. Maybe we'll do a show on that someday, but uh, the main, uh, I, our main iMac is connected to the Drobo directly and it has, it uses that as the iTunes store. So it's, it's really great. I, I, you know, the thing I like about Drobo is it's so simple. You don't need to be a computer scientist to run this thing. You get a drive and you stick it in. And if you open the, the advertisement and you say, Hey, there's a two terabyte drive on sale at Best Buy for 80 bucks. You can go buy one and stick it in. You don't have to worry about matching everything. It just happens. And, uh, I, I love it. I bought, I think, the very first generation one when they came out at Macworld several years ago. And now I'm using the Strobo FS, and I would not go back. 
Yeah. So Drobo's got a bunch of different devices you can check out. They've got the Drobo SFS that David and I both use. They've got the brand new Drobo with Thunderbolt. And then they've got the new Drobo Mini. So if you're a professional that needs storage on the go, you can stick in a bunch of smaller drives and you can stick the Drobo in your bag and you've got your all of your storage right there ready to go. And we'll be talking more about the different Drobo devices uh, later on in, in different episodes. Uh, but we want to thank Drobo for their continued support of Mac Power users. And you can check them out at Drobo.com. All right, Marco. Tell us how you got started with all of this. I mean, we know that you were born, you went to school, you got a degree. How did you decide, I want to be a developer, I want to be a programmer? What what were the steps that that you took to decide this is the career path that that I want? And then how did you do that? How did it all start? um, It was basically a story that you probably hear a lot if you ask developers this question, um, which is that I was a nerd and I I liked, you know, I, I got a computer, um, my first computer, I was in sixth grade, I got a computer, and uh, I, w- I slowly taught myself how to program on it, and I just loved it, and I, I kept programming as a hobby when I was supposed to be doing my homework, and I, I stumbled through school and barely graduated, <laughs> and, and uh, went, to, went to college and barely graduated there, too, and I majored, majored in computer science to kind of develop and hone my, my programming skills. Um, and then afterwards I went to, I went to go work at a company in Pittsburgh called Vivisimo and they did like, they did enterprise search software. And, uh, that was kind of my graduate school equivalent was working there, basically getting my butt kicked by, by people who were extremely good and, and far more disciplined than I was. And, uh, so I learned a lot there and then, um, I moved to New York, uh, and, uh, started working at Tumblr. And that really developed a lot of my web development skills, and and uh, I learned a lot there. And yeah, you were really early in Tumblr, weren't you? I mean, you were one of the first yeah, guys in. at the beginning. I, I was, yeah, it was the founder and me. <laughs> yeah, you were. <laughs> and and how did that happen? You just saw an ad that you responded to, or you knew somebody, or it was pretty much it was amazingly uh, <laughs> boring and, and chanced, uh, okay. if that's a word. Um, I I saw an ad on Craigslist. I wanted to move to New York uh, for personal reasons. I wanted to move to New York, and so I uh, I was looking for jobs doing whatever I was qualified to do, and that was basically either C programming or PHP. And David Carp of Tumblr, uh, at the time, he was running a web consultancy of of just you know him doing consulting work for for for, for website development, uh, and he was looking for people to help him out. So I I saw the ad. I sent him sent him my stuff, and he liked me. So I went out there. We met and. He hired me to work with him at this consultancy, and then there was about six months later, um, we had like a gap between clients for uh, for about two weeks, and he's like, "Hey, you know, before we get started on the next thing in two weeks, uh, I ha- I've had this idea for a while. Let's see what we can build. Let's see what we can do in two weeks," and that was Tumblr, and so we started it up, and eventually it uh, it replaced the entire consulting business, and that became my job. But I, I kind of I kind of fell into it because I was just really just making websites with David first. Boy, you learned a lot about high volume there, I bet. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, and and that's I, I, it's it's really um, it's a crazy way to learn, but it's it's very valuable uh, when when you are the only 
full-time programmer at a place. And for a long time, I was also the only system administrator. So the code was all, for the most part, mine. Um, you know, David worked on the front-end stuff, but all the back-end stuff was me. All, you know, the database stuff, the caching, all, you know, all the, the lower-level stuff was all my territory. And then I was also the system administrator. So the servers and everything, that was all also my job. And so they were, you know, every, every problem that came up, it would be like, oh, well, the memcache boxes are hitting their network throughput limits. How do you solve that? <laughs> and I'd have to go figure out, um, you know, I, and I could get help from some people, but a lot of those, like a lot of those types of questions that big web services face, the, the problem is so specific to them and, and their particular setup that there's often not a lot of help you can get from other people. A lot of times you have to just figure it out on your own. Um, or you can take some general tips from others, but for the, but you're still mostly on your own with the solution. Um, so I basically learned as I went as needed, you know, first it was, all right, how do, how do I run one server? And eventually it was, how do I run a hundred servers? And first it was, you know, how do you, how do you split up uh, a database pool in the app into different, it, diff, into different servers? And then it was, how do you split it up into master slave? How do you manage caching when you read from a slave and all this other complex stuff? Well, even you look at a company like Apple, and they've had their struggles with this iCloud and the basic syncing issues they're dealing with. And I don't think there's a book or you know a person you can go hire that's just going to make this stuff magically work. It seems like everybody's just got to go through that growing process and you know get bubble gum and you know <laughs> straight scotch tape and, and exactly. get through it. And, and, you know, people like to think uh, with these new cloud services, like, oh, why don't you put it on Amazon Web Services or Google App Engine or these things? They, they scale for you. And in, the real, in reality, there is no free scaling. You know, that's, that's why Facebook isn't hosted on Amazon Web Services. You know, like there is, there is no solution that can automatically do all this for you. It's, it's inherently extremely complex. You know, like I, I mean, you guys have talked a lot about about syncing and, and complexities there. I mean, it's like, it's one of those problems. I talked a lot about this um, in, in Kind of Critical with Merlin the other day. Uh, it's one of those problems where, the, where what has to happen is so incredibly complex and there's so many big and small things that can go wrong when you're talking about 100 servers running lots of different roles, talking to each other, serving thousands and thousands of requests per second. Um, it's... There is no way to do that and and abstract away all the complexity. It's just not possible. And, and so, since you've been in this, you were there with Tumblr, and now you're doing the same thing with Instapaper. You've got some knowledge and some history on this. I'd like to ask about the future. Is this sure. something that is going to get easier? Are people in the future going to be able to get an off-the-shelf solution that really just scales easily for them? Because I don't think that exists now. Do you see a point where it would exist? It definitely doesn't exist now. Um, I, I don't think there will ever be that point because again, it's, it's just the, the problem set is too complex. Now we keep raising the point at which that happens, you know, back, back in 1998, uh, running a site that handled thousands of requests per second, uh, would have been way more complicated than when I left Tumblr than, than what they were doing there. Um, even it, what Instapaper does now, uh, I, I have about, uh, 10 servers at Instapaper, one of those servers 
could probably run most websites in 1998 <laughs> alone. You know, uh, hardware has gotten so much better these days. Networking is faster. The connections are faster. Um, we have SSDs, which are amazing. And I'm sure you, you guys have been telling people this a lot. <laughs> um, if you have any way at all to put all your stuff on an SSD, or at least to put most of your stuff on an SSD, you got to do it. Trust me, you will, you will never regret that decision if you do it. Yeah, they're pretty amazing. I, I've got one in my iMac now, and it's uh, the only problem with that is it's a little too small, just a little too small for yeah. what I do. So I'm always doing this juggle, you know. But and with but, iMac, it's hard to it's hard to replace. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, well, I mean, you know, hardware is always we getting talked better. To Kyle about that, he just needs to do it. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, the yeah. iFixit guy. Yeah, he was on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw. He's all. It's okay so long as you don't get one particle of dust under the glass. <laughs> Yeah, That's all. A- anything that begins <laughs> you, with take apart your screen first. You've you've got a clean room at your house, right? It'll be fine. Don't worry about yeah, it. Right. Just do it. Right. I'll come over and do it. There we go. <laughs> but yeah, yeah but, so but you you're know, right. So. And the SSD technology is getting faster. I'm sorry, bigger and cheaper. So right. we're getting there. We're and so you know, all those things that benefit consumers also make it much easier to run servers. Um, you know, now servers have all these crazy multi-core processors that don't cost much money. Servers have lots of cheap RAM. They have lots of cheap two terabyte disks if you need that much storage. And now they also have giant SSDs and they aren't that different from the consumer ones. So, and you can imagine the speed difference you get on one computer when you put SSDs into something like a database server, which is very heavily um, disk IO bound. Uh, the difference right. is phenomenal. Yeah. Like we at Tumblr, when we were first testing SSDs, we were able to replace roughly eight to ten database servers with one SSD server. That's how much faster they are. Yeah, and and that was like database servers that that were not SSDs. They had like RAID arrays of fifteen k SAS disks, like really fast disks. Um, but SSDs really are that much faster. But none of them are as rocking as that cassette tape I used to save my basic applications. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so you know. I mean, so, let's be so, honest. <laughs> so, to answer your question, back way back, you know, minutes ago, uh, the hardware is is raising the bar on how far you can get without much complexity implementing a web service. However, but, there is always going to be that level where once you know, once you cross the level of what one server can handle or what one database can handle, uh, there's always going to be a lot more complexity. And then, just due to things in reality, like uh, like if you if you want to read data off of a pool of servers, you have to you have to know whether what you're reading is up to date, and there's no fast way to make sure it's up to date. So you have to choose between fast or accurate, and and it's just it's really uh, it, it's there's always going to be that kind of complexity. Yeah, but I keep thinking, and I'm not I'm not talking about something like Facebook, but like five to ten years down the road, it seems to me that if you're putting together like a moderate web hosted service that I bet there'll be a lot of solutions that are, are a lot simpler than what's out there now, where you don't need to have you know, a Marco Arment in your employee to make sure it always works. I hope or, not, because I'm getting burnt out of this. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm an optimist, I don't know. Well, hey, Marco, let's talk about how you use your Mac. Sure. <laughs> so now, because uh, I listen to Build and Analyze, so I kind of keep up with the goings-on, and I know that you have recently purchased yourself and a new Mac And you keep changing yeah. yeah. Yes. So for a while there, you were using a Mac Pro, and then you said, heck with this, I'm going to get one computer. I'm not going to have to sync anything, you know, going back to our earlier conversation. Yep. So you've got, a, you've got a loaded MacBook Pro. 
but ultimately that didn't work out for you. So now I guess you're on a Mac Pro and a, and a Retina MacBook, right? That's right. The grass is always greener. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, I can't really, yeah. I can't judge you. That's all I can say. <laughs> I mean, the problem is, so you know, tell for, us, yeah. Sure, I was going to yeah. say, tell us, tell us why this, this, because this seemed like a really great idea. I really liked your idea. You know, forget the Mac Pro, even though you just bought the not really new, newer MacBook Mac Pro. Forget this. I'm going to get the new Retina MacBook Pro. And I would assume that you would just hook it up to an external display and keyboard and mouse. And it would be kind of like a docked machine when, when you were at home. And it would be a road machine when you were on the go. That seemed like a really good idea. Why didn't that work? Well, it It worked. And and you know that's how okay. I ran it for for about a year. You know I I sold my Mac, my 2008 Mac Pro. I sold it to Dan last uh, last fall, and right. switched to only the 15 inch MacBook Pro. You know, this is before the Retina, of course. Um, and right. and it was it was a fine machine, and and I ran that for almost a year, and I was fine, but it wasn't great, and there were a lot of annoyances with that setup, and you know if you if if your needs fit within one laptop. Again, this is just like like what we were just talking about. If your needs fit within one computer that's a laptop, that's awesome. You can keep things very, very simple. As soon as you exceed what one laptop can do or can hold or can handle, then things start getting complicated. And at some point, it might be you might be better served by a desktop. And even if that means also having a laptop as as a secondary or travel computer. And so for years, I had a Mac Pro, and laptops. The Mac Pro outlasted like three laptops, of course. Um, sure. And you know, for years I had that multiple computer setup. And in a lot of ways, having multiple computers is inconvenient. Uh, there, there's a lot of bad things about it. There's, there's the whole issue of syncing data. And you know, these days, syncing your calendars and contacts and everything with iCloud is fine. That, that's very reliable. You don't have to worry about that. Dropbox is fine for syncing a folder. But Anytime you have multiple computers, at least with me, I always found this to be the case, I would constantly run into issues where, well, I only have my laptop with me right now, but I really want this one file that's on my desktop that is not on this laptop. And my desktop is off, or it's unreachable, and I can't get to it. You know, this, this is inconvenient. Or simpler things like, um, like you know, just not having preferences synced between every application. Not having your applications themselves synced. There, there's all sorts of complexity there that often makes it a pain in the butt. So moving to one computer, I thought would solve all of that, and it did. But it also created other problems that I didn't foresee. And you know, one of the biggest ones was just performance. That uh, the before the current Retina generation, the the MacBook Pros were fast, certainly, but not nearly in the class of of most Mac Pros. And there were severe limitations uh, in in RAM that you could install and and disks were the big limitation. I, I would always put in my own SSDs um, for, for speed there, but then I'd lose a lot of capacity. And I, I had one of those dual drive things that, re, that would replace the optical drive with a second hard drive bay. And I, so I tried having more space that way, but that had a, little, a few little issues there that were inconvenient or, or annoying. So I, I, w- I was basically needing the speed and the space, the storage space of a desktop and trying to wedge that into a laptop. Now, at the same time, I also wanted to run the laptop, as you said, connected to an external monitor, keyboard, and mouse on a desk most of the time. And that's how I did run it. Because yeah, I, don't, I don't travel that often. I travel maybe, maybe once a month, I'll, I'll take a laptop out somewhere and really use it. Um, but, or maybe twice a month, but you know, not that often. And not every day. 
So most of the time, this laptop was sitting on my desk. And I, I didn't want a second monitor. I have a giant 30-inch monitor. I, I did dual 24s for a long time. Uh, I moved to a single 30. I like it a lot better uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, most of which are fiddly and annoying. <laughs> most people won't care, but I care. Um, so having, having the laptop mean, meant I had to have it. it. It was always a secondary display that was always open. I couldn't close it and run it in clamshell mode because it would get too hot and the fans would kick on and get loud. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the fans would kick on and get loud when I, when I would do lots of things. Um, yeah, didn't even... I thought the fans would go on. It'll use the, it uses the big video card anytime you plug into an external monitor. Right, which is very annoying. Yeah. That's bad. And it also slaughters battery life. It, like, if you're running on battery, the, the dual GPU setup that all the 15 inches have uh, is really very, very bad for battery life. Um, it, I, I wish they would just make a 15 inch that only had the integrated video. And a few years ago, they did. There, a few years ago, the, the, the MacBook Pros that you could get, there was like a, I think it was the very first time they dropped the price down to 1600 for the entry level. That model only had the integrated GPU. And I bought one, and it was awesome. It just wasn't that fast. Like, you know, the, the CPU wasn't that fast. I, I eventually handed it down to a family member. But, um, but that model was great. It got much better battery life than, than most of the recent ones because it didn't have the discrete GPU. Yeah. And there are a lot of people, as you can tell by anybody who has a MacBook Air, there are a lot of people who don't need the power of a discrete GPU and who would be fine using only integrated. And I would, if they offered the Retina with only integrated... I would have bought that. Yeah, I think you know one yeah. of the reasons why you had so much trouble with that is because you're a developer and you're doing software builds and you're using. I mean, you are a power user. I mean, you're using the heck out of that processor, right? Um, whereas somebody who's not developing software, it might be easier for them to get by with that. But on the flip side, I'd say that syncing or keeping two computers is a heck of a lot easier now than it, than it ever was before. I mean, I remember before Dropbox, and it was a pain, you know. Oh, yeah. So uh, it, it's not that difficult to keep two computers now. So I can see why you'd go either way on it, frankly. I mean, it's yeah, not and as certainly difficult, now, but Dropbox doesn't do everything. Exactly. Like, there's still, most applications don't sync their preferences. They certainly don't sync their state. Um, and, there's, and Dropbox has limits. Like, I'm, I can't keep my entire library of everything in Dropbox. Um, they, I don't think they even sell a plan. Well, you, if you pay me. them enough, they will now. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> well, the, yeah, the trouble <laughs> I always run into is I'll have a little Apple script I built, or a, you know, a service, or you know, all these little fiddly things that I create, and then inevitably I'm on the other computer and I haven't got it moved over. Yeah, and so now I've got I've kind of trained myself. I put a folder in Dropbox, and every time I make something cool and little, I stick it in there a copy of it so then I can install it the next one but then you got to go through the process of creating it on the other computer too which is a pain. I also I mean and and well, this and is it, this is part ahead. of my fiddliness also. Um one of the greatest things that I like about the laptop and the desktop have being two different things is that the laptop's kind of like my clean environment. I don't have to have a whole bunch of stuff on it. The desktop I have to have everything. I have like the stupid scan snap application running which you know has that ugly icon. Um and I have I have like all the different utility apps that I have to run on the desktop and like things that download reports for me for App Store sales and stuff like that. And I have all this crap on here. My laptop is like this this clean green pasture. Like I it has only what I need to get to get like my my everyday work done and nothing else. 
so I can keep it lean and fast. I can I can buy cheaper laptops that have smaller discs. I don't I don't need to store my entire photo and music libraries from forever ago. Um, it it is nice kind of having those two different environments, and it's also a backup. It's like if a part breaks on your only computer, then you're not going to have a computer for a while while that gets fixed. Uh, when you have two computers right. that can both that you can do work on both of them, uh, you you always have that backup. Yeah, but doesn't that cause a problem when you know you're on the road and you need to make some change to your Instapaper code or something, and it's just not there? Well, with code, it's easier because you know you have source control, so I, I I have Git and everything's synced, and and uh, all the server work is done over remote terminals anyway, so I can log in from any terminal. Okay, um, so that's that's mm-hmm. easier. It, I can see it being harder depending on what kind of work you do. Like if you're a video editor and you have gigs and gigs of, of footage that you're editing, it's going to be hard to really keep that portable between multiple computers and take it with you on a trip. You know, that, that's going to be more complicated. But uh, for, the, for the kind of work I do, syncing that kind of stuff is actually really not that, not that difficult at all. Yeah. Now, I'd like well, to talk a little... Well, it sounds like... Go ahead, Gabby. Go- I was going to say, it sounds like one of the issues is definitely the processor speed, but that's getting better and better with, with the portable machines every generation, especially now with the Retina MacBook Pro. You can, you can if you're willing to pay, get the processor up there. But it sounds like one of the other issues that you have with going laptop only for your main machine is expandability and how many hard drives can I put in there and what are my other options for, for ports. Is that a problem that you think is going to be solved with Thunderbolt? Because you know, there are all these questions looming as to what is the future of the MacBook Pro. It sounds like even a high-end iMac maybe not be something that could do that work for you. In, unless there's um, expandability. all expandability via Thunderbolt. So a few years ago, my wife, she, she's a photographer, and a few years ago she had an iMac, um, and that, that's how she started out her business. So we, we got to see what it's like to have an iMac and to really want to push it to its limits and to, and to want to expand with enclosures and cables and things and one of the reasons i like having a mac pro is just to avoid a desk covered in hard drive enclosures like, and that maybe that's just me being fiddly but i don't like i love well, <laughs> one of the reasons that i said i wouldn't talk about <laughs> one of the reasons why i switched from dual 24 inch monitors to a single 30 inch is so i can center my monitor on my desk and i can have my left and right stereo speakers at the edges of the desk they're big speakers and I was tired of sitting off to one side and hearing lopsided sound. So <laughs> when I had two monitors, so no, with that's, one that's big deep, monitor, man. I can that's center deep. everything and I can hear I can, my, my sound sounds awesome. And my desk is far cleaner. It looks a lot less ridiculous. Uh, it's easier to manage the windows on one screen, things like that. So I, anyway, similar motivations um, made me really hate having a small integrated computer with a whole bunch of stuff attached to it externally. So one of the reasons I love the Mac Pro so much is that I can have my time machine drive internal, which is awesome. So I, you know, right now I have, I have all four bays full. I have bays one and two are SSD and big file storage. Bay three is a giant time machine drive. And bay four is another giant drive for super duper clones. Theoretically, I would only really need bays one and two, the SSD and big file storage, to be internal to any computer I use. But it it's really nice to have less stuff. To you know, drive enclosures suck. Drive enclosures they they're loud. They they run hot. They have at least two wires coming out of almost all of them if, if they're not bus powered. And if they are bus powered, they're very small disks usually. And and you know, there's 
there's all this crap and then you have all the cables and they there's always a few little weird things that don't quite work as well as they should on on external drives um, there's the issue of ejecting and you know if, if one of them loses power then that disk is offline but an internal drive never has that problem there's all sorts of like little little annoyances when an important disk to you is external and you know similar like when you use a laptop as a desktop you know laptops can work as desktops i mean as, as i said i use one for a year um that's great. However, uh, they they don't do a very good job of it. You know, they they do they, they they will pass as desktops if you want them to, but they're not great at it. One of the biggest things, as I said, was the fan noise. Uh, when not only was it was the CPU not as fast, but laptops have you know, obviously very small compact cooling systems. They have these little tiny whizzy fans and uh, these little tiny heat sinks that they're cooling these little tiny chips from. They don't have the space. You know, the Mac Pro I believe has like 140 millimeter fans. Uh, they're, they're bigger than that than the diameter of a CD. They're, these are giant fans in the Mac Pro that can spin very slowly and quietly and push tons of air across these giant heat sinks. Um, so when the Mac Pro is really stressed out and is you know maxing out all of its CPUs, doing something like a handbraking code or an Xcode compilation or running a backup service, <laughs> which for some reason maxes out all your CPUs, um, when when it's really maxed out, there's no difference in the amount of noise it's making. You can't even tell. It's it handles it gracefully. The laptop gets this whiny, buzzy fan going, and with the Retina, they change the sound with that whole asymmetric blade thing. But it's still loud. Um, it, it, they, you know, it's it's just uh, it's not graceful. The laptop is it, it handles those things annoyingly. Um, there there was one day I was trying to record audio, and every time I would I would get like halfway through it, my fan would spin up, and you'd hear it in the track, and I'd have to start over again. Yeah, and eventually, my my wife had a Mac Pro this whole time after after her iMac. So eventually, I would I just plugged the microphone into her computer across the room and just recorded onto that instead and turned mine off. Um, <laughs> like I, I had to go to her Mac Pro to record a simple audio track to get not have fan noise in it. And that's um, the point where you start thinking something's going to have to change. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and and it's also having that internal storage. That that's a big thing too. You know, you, obviously you've talked a lot about backups and and data management. Uh, I really don't like relying on external disks for uh, for primary file storage. To me, an external disk is either like long-term archival stuff that I don't need very often. Like if I if, like a while ago, I, I have the the box set to the wire. It's a great show, of course. And a while ago, I ripped it all. Uh, into iTunes movie files so that I, when I want to watch The Wire again, because I rewatch it like every couple of years, when I want to watch it again, I can just have all those files on my Apple TV and not have to take out every disc and navigate between every episode using the stupid menu system and then eject the disc and change disc to the next one. Like, So I have this, it's like 50 gigs of, of files. Something like that I keep on an external drive because who cares? You know, Not only is it not that important, but I don't need it all the time. So do you keep your iTunes library on external drive? Uh, no. Or just, just that rip? Um, just just those files I, I would keep on a national drive, and then yes. I, I would import them into the library when, when I wanted to watch them and then delete them when I was done. So, um, like, for instance, on mine, I have the iMac, and I've got an external Thunderbolt drive, and the whole iTunes library is on that external drive. And I'm like you, like Planet Earth. I've got some shows I'll watch over and over again. <laughs> and there, I know, what does that say about me? I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, so... I put them on there, and it's always available because it's just plugged into this external drive. But, you know, I got thinking while you were talking, so it sounds like your backup regimen is you, you run SuperDuper and Time Machine on internal drives. Yes. Um, but what if someone walks away with your Mac Pro 
Do you great have question? A, it's or, all encrypted, or, and I have online backups, and I have a spike. <laughs> yeah, that's a great no, question. Okay, but I mean, no, like, it, in terms it's all of, encrypted for security, yeah. um, and like all the disks are, are encrypted with Lion's full description, which is really good. Um, and uh, I, I have online backup, and then I also occasionally will, will clone to an external drive that I keep in the closet, like across the room. So yeah, it, you know, if, if you if my entire house gets airlifted off the planet, uh, then I will have to rely on online backup. Yeah. And people asking about online, I, I just use? start. I, I use Backblaze. I tried CrashPlan. And the problem I had with CrashPlan, they, the software for all of them is terrible. Um, the, the only, I mm-hmm. think the only good software is ARC, ARQ. But ARC is only an app. They don't have their own service. They, uh, they require you to use your own S3 account, which means that you're paying a lot more for disk space than you would with Backblaze or CrashPlan, both of which are unlimited. Um, so, right. you know, I back up something like 800 gigs, I think is my total backup size to the online backup. And doing that over, over ARC to S3 would be something like 100 bucks a month, whereas with Backblaze, it's 50 bucks a year. So it's, it's a pretty mm-hmm. big price difference. Um, so, that, so I use Backblaze. I like it better than CrashPlan because it just uploads a lot faster. CrashPlan has... A little bit nicer software, although it's it's all Java, which a lot of people don't like. Um, it has nicer software on the Mac. However, um, they have they've had some severe performance problems with accepting uploads. And I've looked all over the internet. And I found a lot of people talking about it. Uh, I couldn't. I, I I have a I have one of those awesome new FiOS connections. So I have a 65 megabit upstream, and I couldn't get CrashPlan wow. to, to accept files faster than about 200 kilobits a second. And that's pretty bad when i want to back up 800 gigs (laughs) and backblaze is fast backblaze will accept things almost as fast as i can send them yeah so right now now, they do your external drives too uh backblaze Backblaze? does um they don't they they won't do network drives but they will do external drives right um so actually i want to ask you how do you guys back up the drobos because it are do you use the network ones or do you use the locally attached ones well, well, I, I use the, the network Drobo, and I'm able to back it up to CrashPlan, but I have to mount it via AFP as opposed to mounting it via the, the Drobo software to get CrashPlan to see it the way that it needs to see it to both allow it to back up from... I think it'll back up from it using the Drobo, the way that the Drobo mounts it. But what I, what I really like about CrashPlan is that I've got a couple of family members who don't have a lot of so- stuff. I mean, like their their total user directory on their computer is like between three and seven gigs. And they back up to me as their off-site backup. And I've got them backing up to my Drobo. And CrashPlan won't see that, I think, unless I mount it using AFP, which I do with some scripts, as opposed to mounting it with whatever the, the Drobo dashboard software is. You know, so I, yeah, that's a, that's a, a very good feature of CrashPlan. I could never get behind yeah. the online backup because of the, the upload, the initial upload. And uh, Katie finally got to me, and I, I signed up for Crash Plan. I think, like, four months ago. <laughs> I've lost track. I've been paying for it for, like, three or four months. I still haven't finished my initial upload. Uh, let's see here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has 39.4 days left. and But I'm, I'm uploading, like, a terabyte. I mean, I'm, I'm putting up everything off my external Thunderbolt and my internal... Uh, iMac. So that's a lot. But, you know, it's always been to me seemed easier. And this is the way I back up my Drobo as well as, you know, these, these 5200 speed uh, USB uh, um, external drives, they're dirt cheap, you know, and I've got several of them. Like I've got a two terabyte one. And I, so I'll back up all that stuff to those drives. 
And then I just go over to my sister-in-law's house and I leave it in her closet. And then about a month later, I'll go get it again. And it takes about a weekend. I just run a script and it backs everything up again. And then I bring it back to her house. And that's my, that's my high-tech off-site plan. That's great. That's way better than mm. what most people do. Well, you know, <laughs> I mean, yeah. we all got a good wake-up call the last couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that that one's been kind of talked to death. Hey, I want to do. Uh, I want to talk about the stuff you use for your programming, but I was thinking it'd be fun to also talk about uh, the stuff you're using as a as a new parent, because I'm sure that you've got some some good geek technology involved there. Sure. And um, yeah. before we do that, let's talk about our next sponsor, and that's the Omni Group. We talked about the Omni Group a lot on the show. I'm a big fan of their software. I think that they get it. They're one of these Mac developers that just get it, and uh, one of my favorite applications they make is, is Omni Outliner. And Omni Outliner is an application that is the premier outlining application on both the Mac and the iOS platforms. So it, the way it works is you can create an outline for anything and very easily start making parent and children columns. You can set the formatting to make it look nice. And you know what I use this for a lot of times is I, I get an idea, and I'm not really sure how everything fits together, but I know I've got a lot of the pieces in my head. And I'll start sticking them out on the screen and start organizing there as an outline. And I use this app all the time. And so they've got a version on the iPad. It's 20 bucks. I've got it on the Mac. It's 40 And if you want to get the Pro version, it's $70. Um, you know, as an example, uh, as an attorney, I take depositions all the time. I've made these really killer deposition outlines, you know, because you've got certain questions you're going to ask every witness. And then using Omni Outliner, I can save that as a template on the Mac. And they have a really great template feature. And I've got three or four different templates I can start from. And then when I know I'm going to be taking a deposition, I pick the appropriate template. And then I just start adding to it. And then eventually, I move it over to Omni Outliner on my iPad. And I walk in the room. I've got the the iPad sitting right there with the outline on it. I can just start cranking through and asking questions. It just scares the hell out of the other guy. It's, It's just fantastic software. Uh, Katie, are you a big Omni Outliner fan? I love Omni Outliner. I'm a big outliner in general. I know you talked a lot about mind mapping, and I'm getting more into that. But, you know, just my mind is very linear in its thinking, and I'm I'm very big into outlining. In fact, I'm putting together a massive outline right now for Show 100, and we've got all these workflow guests that are coming together for Show 100. So I emailed them all, and I said, send me a brief outline of what you want to talk about, what it is, how you're going to, what you're going to, what problem you're going to solve, what type of stuff you're going to use. And, you know, because they're Mac Power user geeks, I gave them a couple of different formats that they could send them, one of them being OPML. Because a lot of these different utilities will export into OPML. It's just kind of this this format that a lot of stuff will export and a lot of stuff will read. Well, of course, they send me their OPML file and Omni Outliner can open it and it preserves all the rows, all the columns, all the spacing. And I'm just being able to grab their OPML files, pull them into our Omni Outliner file, which is at the end of the day what we use to do every single outline for every single episode of Mac Power users. And I'm able to generate this very professional, this very clean, this very elegant outline, uh, this very detailed and long. Sorry about that, David. You might not have seen it yet. <laughs> outline for show 100. And uh, let me tell you, that show is going to be Amazing. We've got some really smart Mac Power user listeners with some really great ideas coming. So don't miss yeah, I mean, that. I mean, the Mac Power users started as started ex- existence as an Omni outline. <laughs> you know, just to tell you how much we use this software. It's fantastic. So if you're interested at all in outlining on any of your Mac products, your Mac, your iPad, your iPhone, uh, it's not on the iPhone yet. It's just the iPad. 
go get yourself a copy of Omni Outliner. You can't really go wrong with it. It really is the application. Yeah, there's a free trial on their website, so you can download and try uh, all of their desktop applications over at omnigroup.com, um, and they have a money-back guarantee. So if it's not working out for you, if it's not what you expected it to be, uh, they'll take care of it, but I'm sure you'll love it. So you can find more information at omnigroup.com, and thanks to Omni for their continued support of the show. Now, Marco, you have had a very um, public airing of your problems with your text editor journey, right? <laughs> yep. So, uh, you were a big texting user for a long time and, and TextMate became, it appear, it appeared to become abandonware. Now it's become open source and uh, which is essentially the same thing, I guess. Usually, uh, unfortunately. Yes. Well, it was abandonware and then it was vaporware and then it kind of came back and a then it was an alpha. And then it went away again. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, yeah, right. It was officially open source yesterday after, after about seven months of, of, a almost eight months actually of being this this 2.0 alpha and i and i was using that alpha full time uh for for seven months and i like it in a lot of ways but it was pretty clear that it wasn't really going anywhere that it didn't have it didn't show any signs of ever leaving alpha (laughs) because it, it still had tons of bugs and uh and the developers seemed not that interested in fixing a lot of them you know, and that's one thing about this whole TextMate thing that I don't understand. Because I guess maybe it's just me. In this new internet age, there's a lot of communication between people who make stuff and people who buy stuff. I mean, you know, you you talk about your software constantly. I'm always talking about my books and interacting with people and telling them what I'm doing and why something worked or didn't work. And I don't really understand the silence from the people behind TextMate. It seems to me that it would have been nice if they would have been a little more public about, you know, or maybe it's just something as simple as, you know what, I, I have a new kid and I, this isn't important to me anymore. So, you know, it just, it feels weird to me the way this is all sort of veiled. Yeah, I mean, it does seem a lot like the main developer, uh, Alan Odegaard, I don't know how to pronounce it, sorry. Um, it seems like, and, you know, we say we and they, but I'm pretty sure he's the only developer full-time. And then I, he hires somebody to write the blog posts um, I think, but for, I think, but for the most part, it was just him working on the the, the code. I think. Um, so right. we are, for the most part, talking about a one person shop here, and so it really could be as easy, as, as simple as he wanted to spend more time with his new daughter and and not work on code so much, or you know, I don't know the guy. It could, it could be lots of different personal things where he just lost interest in this project. Um, but it certainly does seem like he lost a lot of interest in this project and. Uh, Whatever the reason, doesn't really matter. Uh, it's it's really just that it was very obvious as a user of the product that it wasn't going anywhere. Yeah, and so, so you, the other day he open sourced it. Yeah, and there have been a lot of commits since then. Uh, a lot of people have contributed small fixes. Uh, I would love to be proven wrong on this because if if TextMate two uh, grew up into a, a releasable two point and not just this this very buggy and limited alpha. I think it would be a really amazing editor. I mean, I, I use it for <laughs> seven months. Uh, I, I would probably switch back to it if it really matured and, and was able to to be that solid again. But I just, I think it's very unlikely. Yeah. So so you've actually, the last month or two, been looking at your other options. And you've covered this a lot on Build and Analyze, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it on the show. But uh, primarily you were looking at BB Edit, Sublime Text, and Chocolat. 
Right. And then you just did a post. I'm going to go ahead and put in the show notes that you have, um, you've picked sublime text. That's your new text editor. Yes. And as a developer, that's a that's a very intimate thing. I mean, your text editor is basically where you work all day. It is. You know, I, I see it. It's like imagine if if you're if you're a heavy terminal user, it's like replacing your shell. Like it's a it's a big deal. <laughs> it, it, it like it in many in in the big picture ways, all text editors work similarly. However, they differ a lot in all of the little tiny edge cases and all the little implementation details and little behavioral details. And when you use something as much as a geek uses a text editor, uh, you get accustomed to all those little details. You build workflows, you get shortcuts, you get muscle memory. Uh, you, you get so accustomed to all that that when it changes, it's jarring. And it can really harm your productivity for a while as you transition to something new. So this is not a transition that most people want to make very often. And I certainly didn't. I mean, I've been using TextMate for about six years now. And e- even going from TextMate 1 to the TextMate 2 alpha had some of that transition period, but it wasn't that much. Uh, and and it's just uh, switching to a whole different application that has its own ideas of how things should be done is a much bigger difference. So I, I think one of, the, one of the great appealing traits of Chocolat is that it's extremely similar to TextMate 1. It, it tries its hardest. You can tell that it started out as like a direct clone and that they've been, they've been kind of building on that foundation, giving it its own personality a little bit since then, but it started out as a TextMate 1 clone. So if you're coming from TextMate, it's actually very comforting to try Chocolat and, and to see that, wow, this is, this is really very much what I'm used to. <laughs> it works in a lot of the same ways. Um, what I didn't like about it ultimately was that it has a lot of performance problems, and it's very—it's still very young. You can really tell there's a lot of a lot of weird little edges and and uh, it, a lot of things unimplemented still. So it's very very young. Sublime Text is is kind of the opposite. It, st- it started out not even from TextMate at all. It started out cross-platform, I think. Uh, anyway, it is cross-platform now, and you can get it on Windows, Linux, and Mac, and it doesn't. I, I think it's kind of ugly, personally. It doesn't look very good. It, it, it certainly doesn't have the, the nice, clean, visual appeal of TextMate. Uh, not even close. But it is rock solid. It is ridiculously fast. That's a huge... I mean, if you're concerned about performance problems and Chocolat, then you've got to try Sublime Text because it is insanely fast. Um, and it has a huge active community. So I, I, think, it's, I, I think of of all the... Uh, TextMate competitors, I think BBEdit will have the most users for the longest time, but I think Sublime Text 2 is a close second. Uh, I yeah, really I'm, think it's going to have a very healthy user community and healthy development for a long time. And BBEdit is just so, it's just, it's an establishment. I mean, you just know it's going to be there and it's going to continue to be there. And Exactly. If you can work within the way, you know, there's a different mentality behind BBEdit as well. It's not as, I guess, customizable would be the word. I don't know if that's right. Yeah, it's BBEdit is very different from from the three that I've just mentioned. Yeah, it, it really it, it's it's a product of almost a different era in programming, and I know a lot. Like I think John Syracuse uses it exclusively, and I know a lot of writers that write everything in BBEdit. Um, so, but you know that one wasn't the right one for you. 
Right, exactly. I mean, yeah. I, I really do wish I liked BB Edit better, honestly, because it does seem like it has the, the best uh, Mac development of all these products, certainly. And, and you know once you learn BB Edit, you're not going to have to worry about losing it. I don't think it's going to go away like you're going through right now with right. your TextMate. Uh, you know, it's funny for me. I, you know, I've played with these. I mean, Brett Terpstra got me all, you know, jacked up about TextMate a couple of years ago because he's made some amazing blogging plugins and some other things. But uh, we've recreated so much of that stuff through services that using a very simple text editor like ByWord or IA Writer or whatever your your text uh, tool of choice is, I don't find that I really need that stuff. I'm not writing code, so it's not that big of a deal to me. I can get by with a ByWord. Yeah. Well, even with TextMate, I was never really using tons of crazy plugins and shortcuts and bundles and everything like that. I was mostly using it stock, and I wasn't even using tons of the, the stock shortcuts and stuff. It was just all the little behavioral differences. And, and, and the few of those shortcuts that I did use, uh, I got so used to all that that any change in, in product is, is significant to undertake. Yeah, uh, somebody in the chat room was asking, uh, what were your specific performance issues with Chocolat? Um, I, I've seen I've seen a few other people report this too, so I, I think I think this is a widespread issue. Mostly that after a while, it seems like they're leaking something because after a while, things just slow down. And, and the biggest places you can see it are um, if you if you block select a column and you make multiple cursors. If that column is more than like two lines long, you're, you're going to start seeing a big slowdown. And I do that a lot. Um, and the other thing is, um, even just like, there was one day I was just typing code, just typing new PHP code, and it was just trying to do the most basic autocorrect and, and suggesting, and even just like trying to match braces and stuff. My typing was being sluggish. That was slowing down in Chocolat. And usually in these cases, restarting it clears out something or other, you know, I guess if, it, if it's leaking stuff restarting it usually fixes it but i don't want to have to restart my text editor every few hours that yeah. that's not acceptable right. to me like i i that that's too disruptive yeah i need i need a text editor to work reliably every single time i go to try it and so your main app is really uh your text editor of choice at this point sublime text and xcode right and and i you know a lot of people ask why don't i use text editor for everything um and and the answer is i think xcode is the best uh, iOS development IDE, uh, but uh, for everything that's not iOS development, I use my text editor. Now, Marco, you're also a very good writer, and I think your blog at marco.org is is one that always makes the cut whenever I do the purge of RSS feeds. And uh, thank you. Uh, and I really enjoy the stuff you put up there. Do you write those posts as well in your text editor? Yes, completely. Okay. And then, um, do you write in HTML or Markdown or just te- how do you do it? I write in Markdown. I've actually I I made a whole CMS called Second Crack that is basically just my blog engine. And please don't use it. It's not. <laughs> there's so many bugs, <laughs> but uh, I know them all, and I can I can step around them. Uh, so, um, it's it's basically a, a static file based Markdown blogging engine. So my posts are oh, and it's Dropbox based, of course, because everything cool is Dropbox based. Uh, so my posts are a directory of Markdown files in Dropbox. The server runs Dropbox. My computers run Dropbox. Everything is synced and published that way. And I write in Markdown. Although not, I'm not like a pure Markdown guy. I, I still write links and image tags in HTML. Yeah. Like just, like I, I don't do the Markdown syntax for a lot of that stuff. But 
simple, like, you know, bold and italic and lists. I'll do all that in Markdown. And I, yeah, and I, I write in my text editor. That's it. Yeah, I'm, I've got this, um, uh, I'm legendary for my fiddly nature of the way I write. I use, you know, um, you know, I use Omni Outliner and I use, um, you know, mind mapping and all this crazy stuff. Now, do you just sit down in your text editor and start writing? How do you do it? That's pretty much it. I'm, I've never really been much of like a rough draft kind of guy. Um, I, I was a terrible student because I, the, you know, the teachers in, in school would require you to have like turn in two rough drafts and then turn in your final report. Well, I wouldn't have rough drafts. I would sit down one night and bang out a report and it would probably be terrible, but I didn't care. And then I, I would usually go back and fake the rough drafts from the final copy, uh, <laughs> which is probably not what they wanted me to do. Uh, I, I, I was such a bad student. Well, you know, but, <laughs> you're lucky because if I did that, it would be complete dribble. <laughs> I mean, well, and, you know, like, I, I edit as I go and, yeah. and that's, you know, I'll, I'll write things, I'll, I'll rearrange entire sentences and paragraphs and, and cut a lot out before I publish. But, um, you know, I, I, for the most part, I write in one pass. It's, it's just all, like, you know, minor editing. Do you do all your writing on your Mac or do you do any of it on your uh, iOS devices? Oh, it's all on the Mac. I, I, I don't have the patience to type on the iOS devices. So what uh, kind I, of user are you for like your iPad? What do you do with it? I read instant paper and play games. Okay. <laughs> and yeah. these days, I don't really have a lot of time to do either of those things. So the iPad is mostly a testing instant paper device right now. <laughs> um, yeah. On the iPhone, you know, the iPhone I use a lot more because it's always with me. So the iPhone for me is like, you know, for a lot of people, I imagine it's it's an an internet triage device. I, I use it to look at emails, but usually not respond to them. Um, although I use my Mac for the same thing. Um, I, I also, you know, I'll browse RSS and Twitter on the iPhone a lot, but even Twitter, I, I do most of my tweeting from a desktop client. And that's always, I, I, I like the desktop workflow. I'm so, I'm so productive on the desktop and my inability well, you're to in front work of a desktop. at that. Right. My my inability to to work at that speed and to multitask as well as I can on a desktop on an iOS device uh, frustrates me, and so I usually just choose to not do things on my iOS device that are going to frustrate me because I can't do them fast enough. I'll just wait till I'm back at my desktop and do them there. Yeah, do you use a, a task management system or any of that stuff, or you just nope. wake up every day and and pick up where you left off? I, I have a text file in uh, Task Paper. Yeah. Uh, for you know, whenever I'm planning a release, I I will ma- I'll manage it in Task Paper, uh, but it, it's a very very simple setup. And, f- and I'll I'll use Apple's built-in reminders for a few things per week. Like I stole Merlin's trick of of putting my my trash and recycling days as recurring events. <laughs> so that's yeah. I, I have that, and <laughs> you know I have minor reminders in the reminders app, but that's about it. Um, when I go shopping, I use I use Clear that that cool to do list for the iPhone. Um, yeah. I use that for shopping lists, and that's it. I, mean, it's, I really don't have a lot of task management. I, it's, uh, I wish I did. It, I'm like, me with task management, it's, it's like all those guys that Merlin rants about all the time who buy notebooks and think they're going to become writers. I've tried so many task management systems, and I've never gotten to any of them because that's just not how I work. It's not how I think. I don't have, I don't have the discipline or the mindset to use those things. And well, I, well, I want sh- to be that kind of person, but yeah, I'm just yeah. not. I'm not even sure you need it, though. I mean, it sounds to me like the type of work you do, it's, it's pretty linear. I mean, you know where you're going with your application. You're not working on 17 different apps at once, or at least not that I know of. That's, generally, that's true. However, I, I am working on a lot of different kinds of things. Like, you know, so I have, I have the app, 
I have the website, which is actually fairly different. Um, I have my blog. I have my podcast. I have the blog sponsorships. Um, so like, there's there's all sorts of these other businesses that I'm in. Plus, I have you know, if I want to do any kind of personal fun stuff, I, you know, I have that too. Um, so I have all these all these context switches in my brain as I switch between my different businesses. Um, so that's that's a bit of an issue. But for the most part, I, I work on whatever I feel like working on at that point because none of those things are really that pressing most of the time. Like if I want to take two days and not work on the website and instead work on the app or write something for my blog, I can do that. Yeah. And then when, I, when I'm motivated to write some code, then I'll go write some code. And see, that's in my life, it doesn't work that way. It, there are things that have to happen. I, I don't have much control over. Mm-hmm. And if, if I don't manage those, stuff really does start blowing up. So that's, I think, probably why I'm so anal about this stuff. I don't know. I don't. I, yeah, I always think we're kind of on that. Go ahead. Go ahead, Katie. No, I was. I was going to move on to a different topic. So go ahead, and, I'll, and then I'll wrap up. I, I just think, for me, the reason why I am so into like cooking ideas and task management is, you know, if I accept at a at a fundamental level, I'm not very smart. You know, <laughs> I, I really need this <laughs> stuff to help me get by because. I can't, I just can't do, I can't write a rough draft and turn it in. It would be so terrible, you know? And, um, so I'm an example of somebody who, who gets all these little tricks just to help him get through life. I think if you get to a, if I'm going to be totally honest about it, that's how I get into all this stuff. But that's just me, you know? You bring up an interesting point because it, you've got a lot of flexibility and a lot of freedom because of the type of work that you do and the structure and what you work in. Um, you know, you work from home, you work for yourself, you work on on your projects. You know, you don't necessarily have to meet somebody else's timetables or somebody else's deadlines. Then again, there's also some downsides to that because you are your boss. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of times you are your most demanding boss. So I'd like to talk a little bit about how you kind of manage that that work life home life balance especially when you work in your home and how you you deal with you know how are you managing the business aspects of your business using your mac and things like that because you 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 do you're running a a business on your mac so maybe we can we yeah. can go into that a little bit um before we do it's probably a good time though to talk about our our last sponsor and that is ScanSnap and I know you were mentioning in the pre-show um how how you used your scanner. So maybe you can tell us about how you manage your office and your home, how you're you're using scanning and, and paperless and workflows and things like that. Um but the, I will but you might cry for me. I David might cry. will definitely right. cry if he hears it. <laughs> oh boy. Well maybe we can give you some points. The reason why is because I, I scan everything into one giant folder. Well, okay, do, well, we can do, work on do that. you OCR it? Uh, when I remember to. Okay. Well, I'll, do, I'll do a big right. batch overnight one night, like when I remember to. Yeah. Well, in a scan snap, you can just have it uh, OCR automatically every time you put it in. I mean, the, one of the, the best features about this scanner is the software. And if you go into this, the preferences for the application, um, you can say OCR it as it comes in. And it doesn't take that much longer, especially on these new Macs that have such fast processors. And the OCR stuff... Uh, it used to be kind of fiddly because, you know, it wasn't that accurate and it took a lot of time. Well, now it's a lot more accurate and it goes a lot faster. So I, uh, you can OCR everything, stick it in there, and then use Spotlight to, to drill out anything in a, in a very large file worth of documents. 
I guess we're kind of merging. Yeah, someone in the chat room pointed out it's kind of like being a hunter versus a gatherer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and we're kind of merging an ad spot and an interview, so I don't want to confuse people. This is an <laughs> ad spot. They, they pay us to talk about them, but uh, we only take sponsors we love, and this is one I definitely love. So the ScanSnap family is these three scanners particularly suited for the Mac. The S1500, which is the big desktop model. You can put 50 pages in it, and it zips right through it. It's dual mode, so it scans both the front and the back of the page when it goes through. It straightens it out. It it um, rotates it if you put it in upside down. And like I was just saying, you can go ahead and OCR it at the same time. And all this happens through this ScanSnap software. And Fujitsu has always been a big supporter of the Mac, even when a lot of other hardware developers weren't. And they make this great software. And it's very rare that I say that about hardware vendors software, but this truly is great software that does all this for you. And you can customize it and set preferences so you can tell it what to do. And it's just wicked fast. Now, if you don't want to get the big S1500, you can get the smaller one. Uh, that's the 1300i. That's the newest one out. And it's got some internet stuff built into it, which is pretty awesome. But it also can go on your desk or it can go on the road with you. But it still has a sheet feeder. It gets you 10 pages. Not quite as fast, but it's still pretty fast. You can get everything scanned that way. And then if you're really the road warrior, you get the 1100. That just plugs in with a USB port. And it doesn't have the feeder, but it's just so small. It's, you can take it with you anywhere. And, uh, boy, these are great scanners. I use them all the time. I, I think I bought the first one like four years ago. And, and I'm still using that one. So just to let you know, these things last a long time. We really appreciate having Fujitsu on board and encourage you to go check it out. And we, we are giving one away, and it's just my own inability to get the final contestants narrowed down. We've got this haiku contest. And hundreds, hundreds of haiku people have written in. So that's yeah, why no, it's taken so long. Please, not, the contest and, is over. Please stop writing. And not only are we getting all these haiku entries, we're getting artwork. People are sending us images of haiku. It's just amazing. I, I didn't believe how much we would uh, response we would get to this contest. So we're going to get the uh, winner out to that soon. And somebody's going to get a fancy new S1300i. And, um, and I encourage you, if you're looking into going paperless or just finding a way to deal with the documents in your life, to go check out the Fujitsu scan snap and let them know you heard about them from us. And uh, thank you to Fujitsu for their continued support of the show. Okay. All right. So now, Marco, I, I kind of, went through with, you know, what do I kind of where we want to go. But this is a really interesting topic to me, the whole idea of, you know, working from home, being your own boss, being able to get things done. Uh, You know, it's it's an idea that I'm really intrigued by. Um, Is it something that I would be able to do? You know, I don't know. Would I be too distracted? Would I be able to manage myself? Would I be able to just say, okay, I've got to get to work now? Um, Tell us a little bit about how that works and how you actually manage a business on your Mac. Sure. Um, well, first of all, I'm, I am paperless, uh, so I, I do scan everything <laughs> with my scan snap, and then I, I, anything that I, that I really don't need a hard copy of, uh, which is almost everything, uh, I will shred. Um, and I, yeah. it's all just a bunch of PDFs that are occasionally OCR'd, um, backed up, and, and everything. And the reason why I don't spend more time organizing it is because I, I write to that more often than I read from it by a lot. There, there, there's very rarely a time when I have to go refer back to anything I've scanned. Uh, so I basically do the giant shoebox method. Everything's just ordered chronologically. So I, I can say, oh, what was that electric bill from April? What, what, what was that about? So I, I'll, I can look back at you know, the April section of the, of the timestamp file names and, and uh, look back at that. Um, well, and just stop there for a second. That is sure. a, 
a completely legitimate solution to this stuff. Um, I always feel that you don't want to spend any more time on the input side than absolutely necessary to find it on the output side. So if you can get it in there with doing nothing but scanning it and you can reliably find it later, then you have found the perfect solution. Right, for me. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, and one thing that and, and you've mentioned this before, David, um, I really don't like software. And I, <laughs> I say that as a software developer, I really don't like software. Um, because I know as both a user and a developer how fragile and unreliable software is. And and both in, in the in the short term sense where something could crash or corrupt itself, and in the long term sense of this app might not be around in five or ten years when I need to refer back to this thing. Um, so I don't like having any kind of app that has its own big database of stuff that I can't get to. Like I'm not going to put my stuff into that app. Yeah. So with with a lot of these paperwork management apps, um, admittedly I haven't tried them all, but. Uh, I've, I've, I mean, so I just checked on my, on my scan snap. I've scanned, uh, 5,361 pages over its lifetime so far. Yeah. I'm already on my second pick roller and all this other stuff. So anyway, <laughs> it's a great little thing. Um, that, that's a lot of scanned stuff. Now that goes back to, I think like 2007 or so, uh, when I, when I first got the thing and that's already five years ago. And, an app that was out back then might not still be out today. So if I had shoved all my stuff into this one app, and let, let's say it doesn't work under Mountain Lion and it's no, it's no longer being updated, well, that's that's kind of too bad for me. Like I I have to find some some horrible painful way to move all that stuff over. Yeah, um, and what if they want you to export each one by taking a screenshot right. of each page? You oh know? God, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I what I ultimately want, and I I'm not sure this exists, and I've actually thought about. If this whole newspaper thing doesn't work out, maybe, maybe this would be my next app, um, but probably not, because <laughs> I don't think I'm really qualified to write it. But I've, of, I've often thought what I really want is an app that would either OCR the files or take the pre-existing OCR files that are scanned and just do a basic Bayesian analysis of the words in those documents and just put up a little window saying, I think this is a gas bill, is it? And if not, okay, it's a phone bill, it's a letter from the bank, whatever. Um, and just categorize it into folders. And that's okay. just, just folders. Yeah, and right. the app would... that for you. Good. So I got to send you my book. I got to send you my book. I have okay. your book. I, I haven't read the whole thing yet. <laughs> okay, read, read the section about Hazel. Okay, so the, Hazel is this application that will look inside a file and it will say, do the contents But it has include... to be OCR'd because it has to be able to read it. Right. Right. Yeah. So, do, 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 yeah. does it include the contents? Include the word Irvine Water Company and invoice, and it, it look and see if those two words are in the contents of the file. And if it are, if they are, uh, then you can have it do something with it. You can have it just move it to a folder. What I do is because that that it, and it's always looking. It's looking at a certain folder. So it's basically Hazel is a way to automate filing of a fo- of a file. It looks at a specific folder. Man, I'm really screwing up this description. Anyway, so uh, it, you've got the action folder that you scan into, and as soon as a, a new document is scanned in there, it immediately looks at it, and it says, "Oh, this includes Irvine Water, uh, Irvine Ranch Water Company, and invoice." So then Hazel will rename it with the current month and year. It would say 2012 hyphen zero eight hyphen water bill. And then it would finish the rename event and it would move it to a folder of your choice. And it doesn't ask you, it just happens and it works. I've been using this for a long time. So I essentially do what you do. 
I scan it and forget it. But I have Hazel on the back end doing the naming, sorting, and filing for me. That's pretty nice, actually. So would you say maybe 70%, 80% of your stuff gets auto-filed based on your Hazel rules? Yes. I mean, in that neighborhood. And then and, I, and you just go up and clean up the rest. And then I've got some text expander rules where I can name a file. Like uh, a good example is uh, Max Barkey expense. Let's say I buy something that I can list as an expense for the website. And I don't have a Hazel rule that does that. I just type MSE. Dot MSE is my expansion snippet. And it puts the month and it puts the word Max Barkey expense. And then it puts an empty fill-in form in Text Expander, And then I can fill in exactly what it is. I just bought a Jot Touch. That's why I'm thinking about this. One of these great new pens. And, and then so it'll set that in. And then Hazel is also looking at the names of the files. So as soon as it says, hey, he just had a new file that's named Max Barkey expense. So it's not looking at the content standpoint, it's looking at the name. And it says, okay, well, that's a Max Barkey expense file. Send a copy off to the taxes folder and send a copy off to the Max Barkey receipts and, and get it out of here. And so all that stuff just happens automatically. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to set that up. That sounds awesome. <laughs> H- Hazel is one of these apps that is amazing. And, and everybody hears about it and they're like, oh, yeah, I should try that someday. And then when you do finally try it, you're like, why didn't I try this sooner? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's how I. I mean, I, I've never had, I've never tried it. I've known about it for years, but I've always thought, oh, I don't, I don't think I really need that for anything. But, but now it does sound like I do. It does all kinds of great stuff. So, like you know, it'll it'll sort out your downloads folder for you. It, it'll empty the trash automatically. It's, you know, Paul Kim is the guy who does it. And it's one of these, you know, one of my favorite kinds of app developers, just like you. It's a guy who had a really good idea and he creates it lovingly, and it just gets better all the time. And uh, I strongly encourage people to check this app out. Uh, to answer the question in the chat room, yes, I OCR everything now. I mean, that's kind of something that's developed in the last six months. As I was, as I was writing the paperless book, the first draft of the paperless book had this long section explaining why I don't pay, uh, OCR everything because, you know, it's just such a, a drain and it takes longer. And then as I started experimenting with it, as I wrote the book, I realized, hey, things have got a lot easier. Now I just OCR it all. All right. Anyway. So, Marco, uh, how... Go ahead. Go ahead. Go I ahead. want to talk, I want to talk about we... the... <laughs> okay, I'm in here. I'm in we, here. We're so excited. Okay, so Marco has a baby. And when... Yes. When you made it public that you were having a baby, I said, I cannot wait for this baby to arrive. Because uh, there's a, a small list of people in the world, uh, and you're on this list where when you add something new to your life... You go really deep and really far with this stuff. And <laughs> I said, I cannot wait to hear what this guy does with a baby as a geek. Because I'm sure you're going to have some great ideas and some great technologies you're using as a parent. And see, my, my uh, youngest kid is 10 years old. So all this stuff has changed since I was a, a, a father of a baby. So tell me, what is the geek dad doing these days? That's a good question. Like a lot of people have asked me, just you know, just as a as a quick entry point. Oh, what what baby management app am I using on my iPhone? Because there's like a million of them, and I'm not I'm not using any of them. Okay, I, I'm not using any kind of baby logging thing to log every time he poops. I'm not doing that. Like we just know when he poops. Um, you know, like all that stuff. As I said earlier, I hate software. I really don't like. I I don't want to use more software than necessary for things. So the last thing I want to do is integrate lots of crazy weird apps or, or other software type tools 
into this fairly, you know, long-standing tradition of of raising babies. Like it doesn't really need all that. Um, so I I don't we don't keep any kind of weird database of our of our babies uh, stuff or anything like that. Um, you know, we just that's just not our style. Um, for tools and stuff, you know, we that's more interesting to me. So we we've got got lots of things. People always ask the very first thing: What baby monitor do we have? And the answer is very boring. We have the Motorola Video One. It's like a three point six inch screen for like two hundred and twenty bucks, something like that. You can see it on Amazon, um, and it's fine. It's it works. It's great. Uh, we did try again complexity. We tried the Wythings baby monitor, which is a little. It's ba- it's just the camera part. And it uses Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, I think, um, to transmit to any iOS device. And so your iPhone can be your screen to your baby monitor. And we found, actually, this was not good. We, it, it was worse than having a dedicated one because not only was then, like, your iPhone was tied to this task or at least, uh, you know, some, some iOS device was tied to this task around the house, um, but there was also, like, a lot of lag and delay and it, was, it would bug out. Like, the, the image would just freeze and that's not something you want in a baby monitor. <laughs> so it turned out the, the simpler... No, look, the kid's fine. He hasn't moved in 20 minutes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the simpler uh, dedicated device that was not as technological uh, was actually better in this case. So, yeah. and that's, I mean, that's true of so many things. I you can know, see like, that. When, when we had kids, it was just radio monitors. I mean, you would you'd right, hear Right, just them. audio. And that's, and that's it, really all you need. You know what? I, I I'm not sure I'd even want the video monitor. I'd sit there staring at it for hours. Well, what's nice because, it, because to save its own battery, it turns the screen off after a few minutes when it's on battery. So it it is an audio monitor most of the time. And then if you want to look to see what's going on, then you can turn it on for a minute and watch. So uh, that, it is it is actually really nice in that regard. Oh yeah, that is useful. I can see that. You can see like, oh look, he kicked himself out of the blanket, or or oh he's he's really fussing because the pacifier is an inch from his mouth and he can't reach it. <laughs> like Stuff like that. Like there, it is kind of nice to see what's going on occasionally. Um, but you know, like stuff like that, like we, like for the baby management app that I was talking about a minute ago, like when he was first born, we were, we were keeping track of all the feedings to make sure that he was normal. My wife just kept a notebook in the nursery <laughs> and, and a, a piece of paper and a pen was, was the only baby management app we needed. And now yeah. we don't even do that. Now we just keep it in our heads because it's so you know he's he's fairly regular in in all his patterns, so we know when th- when stuff happens. Yeah, I, I I think you're right. I think a lot of this stuff is just crazy uh, tracking that much about your kids. But I'll tell you now, as my kids are grown up, the one thing I wish I had done more when they were babies and growing up is journaled about what they were doing and funny things they said. And like I was looking at this uh, day one app. Uh, that's out now. It looks so gorgeous. I, mm-hmm. I think it would be a lot of fun to have an app where I could take a picture of them as they were babies and growing up and uh, and write more about it or just kind of keep little notes if for no other reason for me to look at it someday when I'm old and drooling on myself, you know. <laughs> have, have you played with any of that stuff? Um, not really. I mean, we, we take a lot of photos just because my wife is a pro photographer. I'm a hobby photographer. Um, so we have lots of photos and, uh, you know, I guess, you know, we both have, we both will put things about him on Twitter and on Tumblr and on Facebook and stuff like that. And I guess this is possibly uh, worth considering, like, what's going to happen in, in, in 10 years or more when we want to look back on those things? Will we be able to? Yeah. 
Um, so yeah. that's that's certainly worth thinking about. I mean, we we haven't tried one of these journaling things, but maybe we should. The digital baby book. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like, and we we actually have paper baby books, which are probably going to be way more reliable over the long term. Yeah, uh, that than, gets to the exact same issue we were talking about with paperless. Is do you put the memories of your child in an application where the developer may decide he doesn't want to do that application anymore and those things may not be recoverable? Right. I mean, how many applications do you have on your computer that existed 15 years ago? Yeah. You know, it's probably not that many. Like, you know, in the case of most paperless stuff that just means like scanning things to PDFs, that's a little easier to deal with because you can be fairly sure that PDF files will be readable for quite some time and that if they ever become unreadable, it would be such a massive disruption to so many people that it would be very easy to convert them into something else at that time. Yeah. Um, I mean, like the, th- the tools would exist. Now, what you don't want is to be trapped into something obscure. That's the problem. That's yeah. why when I'm talking about text editors, I, I bring up how popular they are when, I, when I'm trying to figure out what to switch to. Um, because yeah. I, I don't want to be... The, you, you never want to be the only person in the world using something like that. Um, because... That means if any problems come up, it's only affecting a very small number of people, so it's a lot less likely to get fixed. And if it is fixed, you're less likely to know about it and to know about how to fix it. Whereas if something goes wrong with PDFs, everybody will be telling you how to how to deal with it and how to fix it, and there will be a million tools to do it. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. So, Marco, tell us some of the little utilities you use that you know nobody talks about but help you get through the day. Or solver. do you have those? Oh my god, solver! solver. Everybody, I, yeah. I, I ranted about this on my last uh, build and analyze episode. Everybody has to have solver. I guarantee you, you it's S O U L V E R, which I learned from the feedback is not British for anything. Uh, it looks like a British spelling, but it isn't one. Um, solver is. Have we talked about it before? I haven't heard. I don't think I've heard you talk about it. You know, we've not covered. No, we it. haven't talked about it. I made a note to talk about it after you mentioned it, but go, go for it. Oh man, it solver is basically a hybrid between a notepad, and a calculator, which sounds a bit like a spreadsheet, and it is a bit like a spreadsheet, but not quite. Um, it's, it's like a single column where like the left pane, it's a two-pane interface. The left pane is text editing, and the right pane is the value of every line that you're, that you're editing the text of. So if you type in 5 plus 5 on the left, on the right side, it'll say 10. And you can work with these. You can, you can have relative references, so you can say line 1 times 4. And then that line result would be 40. Um, so it's, it's like a spreadsheet in a few ways, like these features. But what it basically is, is a number scratch pad. And what you'll quickly find once you start using it is that you will probably never launch the built-in calculator app again. Because calculator yeah, you- is a terrible app that replicates all the annoyances and limitations of real calculators and in computers, we don't need that anymore. That's, that's, that, you know, it, it'd be like like simulating rewinding in iTunes, like rewinding a tape. Oh, let me go back. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to play a fake rewinding sound and I'll make you wait 30 seconds to hear the song again. And like, that's like, you don't need to bring over all of the analog crap from the old world. Uh, we have computers. They can do cool things. So Solver is the modern replacement for calculators. And, in, and for me, it replaces a lot of light spreadsheet usage as well. Yeah, it it has the pieces of a spreadsheet that are useful and not the other pieces, you know. Um, It doesn't have a lot of built-in functions, but it does have some stuff. Like you can convert uh, currency 
And, um, I, you know, it is, you know, who turned me on to this was Eddie Smith at practically efficient. I don't know if you're aware of his, uh, blog. It's an excellent blog, but he's an actuarian and, and he was swearing up and down about this. So I, I bought it and, and I use it all the time too. I, it never really occurred to me because I remember when the first Mac came out, I think that's the first time I saw a virtual calculator was with the original Mac and you'd take the mouse and you'd click on the numbers. And I thought it was really cool at the time. And and you made the statement in your last build and analyze that, you know, this is ridiculous. Why would a computer have the same button layout as something that you hold in your hand where you have to use a mouse and hit these very fine touch targets to, to I mean, you didn't right. say this, but I mean, that's what was implied. And, and it really was kind of a, a, a eureka moment for me. I, I never really thought of it, but you're right. Why? Do and like, and like, why stuff? can't you hit backspace after you hit plus? Yeah. Like it, it's, it's just, it, it's, the 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 desktop calculator metaphor is ridiculous to have in the computer world it really is it's so limited and and a lot of the more advanced calculator apps will replicate old world things like paper tapes and memories and like these these versions of what the what the analog world did to come to kind of work around these limitations and they replicate those wholesale in the in the computer version which you know what solver does is rethink what a desktop calculator needs to be and needs to do and can do and it's just such an amazingly nice hybrid between these very powerful tools of a notepad a calculator and a spreadsheet yeah and it what like if if i am working solver is running it's simple as that i use it every day for something if you usually it's for like a scratch calculation um it is. I always have it running. There's always a scratch document open. I've made lots of little calculators for you know doing things like budget estimates and and uh, you know as Katie was asking earlier, how do I run a business on my Mac? Well, Solver is a big part of that. Just you know, run, whenever you have to run the numbers on something, uh, Solver is you know where you don't really want to open a giant spreadsheet program and deal with all those things. Uh, Solver is awesome. Yeah, and it's all. Yeah, it's only eleven ninety nine. Yeah, in the Mac App Store. Yeah. It is always whenever yeah, I just downloaded it. People always ask me like, "Oh, you know, what app do you recommend that nobody knows about?" And that is always my go-to choice because, in the grand scheme of things, it's getting very popular, and I'm, and I'm glad it is. But still, relatively speaking, nobody knows about it. Yeah. And well, it is such an amazing mm-hmm. app. It will it will change the way you calculate numbers on your computer. Well, that, see, that was my hazel until Eddie got on me about it. Because I always knew it was out there. Everybody said it was great. And I needed somebody to kind of like grab me by the shoulders and shake me a little bit. And, and like you, I use it all the time. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, you got any you other gyms? Um, go ahead. Uh, well, I mentioned earlier Task Paper. That's, that's not that yeah. popular of an app, I don't think. It's a, it's a really nice to-do list type app. If, if your existing to-do list is solved pretty well by just a text file... Task Paper is basically a, a basic text editor that has very good syntax highlighting and handling for to-do lists. It, like, it's specialized just to do that, and uh, it works quite well at that. What are you using for um, you know, like your, your big bookkeeping and records keeping, or if anything, or do you just send all that stuff out to an accountant? Because everybody's looking for a, a better you know, accounting software for the Mac. From what I've heard, I, I, I've never tried any of them myself, but I, the, the general uh, impression I get is that everybody uses but hates QuickBooks. And right. 
and and that on the Mac, Intuit's products are not that well liked because they it seems like Intuit themselves doesn't really care that much about the Mac. <laughs> is that is that a fair assessment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That <laughs> so, seems fair. So so my my solution is I have a, I have a basic spreadsheet for tracking things myself. However, I have my accountants do all the actual bookkeeping, um, and they do it in okay. their system, and it, I send them stuff whenever I get it, and that's it. I. I'm I'm very scared of doing that kind of stuff wrong. So I don't even try. I, I just send it out because you know, not only do I not only am I scared of doing things wrong, but I just don't have the time. Uh, you know, of of all the things I could be doing, the last thing I want to be doing is doing all this paperwork constantly. Yeah. Yeah. So do you do a spreadsheet in Excel, numbers, where do you do it? Numbers. Yeah. I don't have I don't have Microsoft Office installed because I like I, I, I just don't need those apps often enough and when i do need when i do need that kind of app the iwork apps handle it just fine yeah just basically make sure i've got enough money in the checking account that i'm not bouncing anything and then let the accountant take it from there pretty much yeah because i I know i i I know i do something wrong and it's just not worth the hassle right and that would end up costing you more money in the long run anyway oh yeah yeah All right, Marco. Well, anything you think we haven't covered yet? I think we've been pretty thorough. Anything you want to talk about or tell us about or think that the Mac Power user should know about? I don't know. I think we're good. I mean, once everyone uses Solver, I think my I think my job is done. Yeah, I think you just kind of brought the show to a standstill with Solver. I mean, we're all playing with it now. It's it's just so good. And and seriously, just leave it running. If if you're new to Solver, leave leave a window open on your desktop as you work. And you will find and and it, it just never launch calculator again. Just start using, force yourself to start using Solver. You will yeah. very quickly see. Oh my God! I can't believe I wasn't using this earlier. Why have I been using stupid calculator replicas all this time? Yeah, <laughs> You'll and see. They, and they have a new iOS version too. I mean, yeah, it's not they new, do but have they've... it for. Yeah, they do have Solver for iPhone and iPad. I I do use it there in, in place of calculators, but I I just don't need it that often there, so I'm not that much of a power user on on the iOS devices. But I do yeah. have it, and it's great. Um, I I mentioned on my on my show too, one of the good uses of Solver on the iPad that I found is keeping track of of scores in card games or board games that I'm playing locally in real life. <laughs> um, it, it's nice like to keep track of you know just writing down some numbers. Like I can say Marco colon and then. 74 plus 59 plus 150 like as, as we're playing through a game and I'm keeping track of a score. Um, yeah. I can have like a line for each person and just be able to glance at it quickly and say, oh, that, this is how we're doing. Um, so it is nice, very nice mm-hmm. for that on iOS. Yes, and that's like, I think a running theme through the way you use your Mac is you're looking for, uh, you, you don't want to put yourself in any kind of box with the types of software or data, data storage, I think would be the same thing. And that's why Solver is such a good fit there. Um, and you want to be able to just get your work done with the minimum number of apps. I mean, that's what I'm hearing. Exactly. I, I again, I really don't like software, and I, and I don't. I try to minimize my dependence on any one app. Yeah. And I know. I mean, that's kind of weird to say in the Apple ecosystem, where the entire Apple ecosystem is so dependent on Apple. <laughs> but uh, besides that one dependency, which I think is is fairly conservative, honestly. Um, besides that dependency, I, I try to minimize others. Yeah, well, if they got a hundred billion in the bank, you can figure they're going to be in business a while, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I suspect whatever whatever happens with Apple, uh, their own actions will stop me using their platforms long before anyone else's will. Yeah, 
and uh, and with respect to you know the way you're going about this is I believe pretty much everything you're saying is that you don't want to tie your data into something where in five or ten years it may not be there anymore or it may not be accessible. Exactly. That that's always underlying the stuff I do, and, and frankly, I like the idea of using simple apps like uh, Numbers versus Excel is a good example. I'm, I know people who just they look at me like I'm crazy when I tell them I do most of my spreadsheet work in numbers. But I'm not designing a spreadsheet to do a hostile takeover of IBM. I'm designing a spreadsheet to, you know, track a few numbers. And that app does it just fine, and it looks nicer. And for the presentation work I do, the, the presentation is absolutely better. And I'm comfortable with it, and I can make it a lot faster. And that's something I feel like is going to be around a while. So I've got little spreadsheets I've created. I've created, like, I think what I call app-based spreadsheets because they're templates that do something that I need to do often. That's, in essence, a calculator for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a good theme to run through everything you do. I mean, whether that's the reason why I like text so much because text is forever. And if I write something in ByWord, or even Scrivener that uses a text format, I know that when I'm old and gray, I'll be able to, to see it again. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of text files for the, all the same reasons. It's, they're just so versatile. They're so future-proof. Uh, it, I do as much as I can in text files. Yeah. Well, well, Marco, I want to thank you for taking time on Sunday away from your new baby to come join us and talk about this nerdy stuff. It was my and pleasure. I, and, and I really want to thank you, uh, really, for, for Instapaper. It, it, it has improved the quality of my life. I, I, I'm not, you know, using hyperbole here. Because, you know, I like to read certain things. That, and there's no magazine made just for me. But with Instapaper, there is. And anytime I can open my iPad, I can find some really great reading material. Tomorrow I'm getting on a plane. I'm going vacation. I can't wait. I'm going on a cruise. I've never done that in my life, so I don't know what's going to happen. But one thing I made sure is that Instapaper's loaded up, so I've got something to read the whole time. All right, here's the tips. Bring non-drowsy Dramamine. That's very important. There is a drowsy and a non-drowsy version. <laughs> Bring the non-drowsy okay. one. Yeah. And uh, prepare to be offline for a while because cruises have pretty poor internet connectivity. I, I'm totally okay with that. That's good. <laughs> I am, I'm ready to be offline for a little while. Yeah. Cool. Well, enjoy it. All right, Marco. Well, thanks again. And uh, we'll have you on again someday. We're going to have to make this a continuing conversation. And everybody who's listening, if you haven't already, please go check out Build and Analyze. Uh, you know, the show's called Build and Analyze. It's supposed to be about software development, right? But it's so what much more. Coffee and life. Yeah, it's so much more. I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not a developer, and it's it's one of my favorite podcasts. Yeah, it's, it's more... It, you know, officially, it's it's a show about development, but really, what it really is is a show for developers and similarly geeky types types of people. Yeah, and even when you talk about developer stuff, even though I mean, I play in Xcode, but I'm I'm such a neophyte. But just the way you describe it, even though I'm not a you know a programmer, I understand what you're talking about, and and it's interesting to hear how you go about solving those problems. So even the developer talk is is interesting to me. So. You know, I, I would encourage you to go listen to his show if you haven't. Thanks. All right. Yeah. Well, have a great day, and we will see you next time. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Well, you can find links to everything that we talked about in this episode over at MacPowerUsers.com or over on the 5x5 site at 5x5.tv slash MPU. You can also send us an email to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. 
Or we're on Twitter. The show is at MacPowerUsers. I'm at Katie Floyd, and David is at MacSparky. And you may want to subscribe to our Twitter feeds because that's how we let people know today about our little impromptu recording. And uh, we may do more of that. I don't know if we're going to be able to get on a regular recording schedule, um, but we'll see. Yeah, I don't think we're ever going to get on a regular recording schedule because of our day jobs. But, you know, that's the reason why you need to follow and get the 5 by 5 app and get those notifications. It's, it'll just happen. It'll be like magic, right? New Mac Power users, stop everything. Go watch. Go listen. Anyway. Hey, and uh, speaking, and of speaking watch, about yeah. live shows, uh, don't forget, Show 100 is going to be live on Saturday, August 25th. That's going to be at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern time. Check your local listings. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. We've got some... We've got some great guests lined up, and the, the guests are listeners. We had some amazing submittals. In fact, it was really difficult picking uh, because there were so many great submittals, but we got it down to a, a pretty small list, so the show's not going to go on for 10 hours. And, you know, we'll probably do this again mm-hmm. sometime, so um, uh, check it out. You can hear from some of your fellow listeners and some of the amazing things they're doing with their Macs. Absolutely. All right, well, we will see you next week for Show 100. I think we're going to make it, David. Yeah, and thanks to our sponsors for today's show, Drobo, Omni Group, and Fujitsu. Till next time.